0: Hi this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you and get ready to receive a word from God. Amen we're going to move right along. We have spent the last couple weeks what I like to call giving the intro to the kingdom, the introduction to the kingdom. It's always good to get to it's always good to get introduced to something amen it's always good to kind of get that upfront. And so we've spent the last couple weeks and I'm not able to cover everything, give a full recap, but they are available online and you'll want to make yourself available to those if you have missed, uh, because we've covered a lot of ground. We talked about God's original intent. We said where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. And so if we don't understand God's purpose, if we don't understand God's plan, then we're at risk of compromising the plan compromising his purpose by living to our own agenda, to our own ideas, to, alo- to living to our own plan. You know, if, if we don't know the plan, we'll make one up. You figured that out by now? If we don't know the plan, we'll make one up and we'll follow it and we'll act like it is the plan. But no, we want to know God's plan and God's purpose. And God's purpose for mankind and God's purpose for the earth was not to establish a religion, was not to establish a, re- uh, a belief system, Uh, Guys, it wasn't even to establish Christianity. That wasn't in God's mind, God's brain when he established Genesis chapter 1. He wanted to establish his kingdom on earth. God wanted to establish a natural representation of a spiritual kingdom in heaven. And then he even went a step further and he created you and I. And we weren't just creatures, pawns in this kingdom, but we were actually the ones given the authority, the dominion, the ability to govern and to rule this earth as we submit to him. God is king in heaven, but he desired to extend his invisible heavenly kingdom to a visible natural kingdom that we see here on earth. And then he extended his invisible self and put his spirit inside of man, breathed into man the breath of life and gave man the ability, the Uh, command even, to rule and to govern this earth just as God rules heaven. We know that man fell, man sinned, man disobeyed, but man didn't fall from heaven because man wasn't in heaven. Man wasn't seeking heaven. Man didn't fall from heaven. Man fell from dominion. Man fell from authority and man lost the kingdom, handed the kingdom over The enemy did not come and steal it and rip it away. You can't steal authority. It has to be handed over. And so we literally, Adam and Eve, handed the kingdom over to Satan on a silver platter, said, here you go. By rebelling against God's command and God's authority, we lost our authority. And so we know the Bible even tells us that the enemy, Satan, he is the God of this world, the ruler of this age. But Jesus came and Jesus came Uh, uh, to be a solution to a problem, not uh, uh, another plan, not another purpose. But God wanted to get the kingdom back in the earth, and he wanted to reestablish his partnership, his relationship with man. Those were the two things that God's been seeking since Genesis chapter 3, is to get man back in right standing with him and to get his kingdom back into the earth. Those are the two things that God's been adamant about restoring and getting back in the planet. So last week, we talked about how Jesus came, and Jesus came not as a religious figure. We've turned him into a religious figure, but he didn't come as a religious figure. Isaiah chapter 9, we read it every Christmas, tells us that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and that the establishment of the government would be placed on his shoulders, that he would come as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, that He would come as a King, and so Jesus came as a King. Not a King like you and I would think, born in a palace. No, He was born in a stable. He was born in worse conditions than you and I were, but He was a King nonetheless. And even when He stood before Pontius Pilate, uh, and, and Pontius Pilate asked Him, "Are you a King? What's what's going on here? Why are these people accusing you of?" heresy. Why are these people saying that you're trying to overthrow a government? What's happening here? And he responded and said, yeah, you speak rightly. I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. That means it doesn't look like your kind of kingdom and it doesn't come from where you think it comes from. My kingdom is from heaven and it's my job to bring the kingdom of heaven back into the earth. And for this person, for this purpose, I was brought here for this purpose, I was born for this purpose. This is my assignment, is to restore the kingdom. Guys, Jesus' assignment was not to die on a cross for your sins so you could one day go to heaven. That's a byproduct, but that wasn't the goal. The goal that Jesus had in mind is that by going to the cross, he would take care of sin once and for all because sin is what divided you and I from God. If he could remove sin, guess what? You and I can have that right standing, that relationship, that righteousness once again. We can't seek a kingdom that we can't be a part of. It was impossible for man to be a part of a kingdom because of sin. Sin literally separated us. So Jesus came and he took care of sin and then he also did one other thing. Jesus came so that the spirit of God could come back and live inside of you. The Holy Spirit is a primary component of you operating in the kingdom, and we'll get into that later on in coming weeks. But he came to do two things. He came to remove sin, not just the penalty of sin, guys, but the power of sin. It's two different things to say, okay, I'm going to take care of the penalty of sin, which means even though you sin, you don't have to pay the price. But he also took care of the power of sin, and the Bible actually tells us that sin no longer has to dominate and rule us that now we can be in dominion once again and be in charge, even over sin, even over lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, we can dominate those things once again. That's what the blood of Jesus did. That's the sacrifice that he paid. And now we have access back into his kingdom, and then his spirit comes upon us, lives within us. Because if you recall, back in Genesis chapter 6, God said, I have to remove my spirit from man. They've become so sinful. They've become so evil. I have to literally remove my spirit. Well, guess what? I can't do kingdom work without the spirit of God in me and upon me. It's impossible. You can't find anybody in the Bible that did kingdom work. That means that we're left to our own natural abilities. Well, guess what? I can't operate in a spiritual kingdom with natural ability. It's impossible. I need his spirit. And because Jesus went to that cross, because he was raised back to life, we can be raised to new life and we can receive his spirit. And that's the first thing that he told his disciples, go, Terry, wait, don't do a thing until you receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 happens, Holy Spirit comes upon them, boom, they're gone. 3,000 souls come into the kingdom and they're demonstrating the kingdom, they're they're, uh, enacting the kingdom Back on this earth. So that's just a brief recap. I know that was a lot, and if you've missed, you're probably super confused right now, but go online, uh, grab those messages, and they'll fill you in. But today, we're going to move forward, and I want to talk about sons and citizens. Sons and citizens. The first thing I want to tell you real quick before we look at Genesis chapter 1 is that the greatest tragedy in life? I believe we have this point up there. The greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy in life, is not death. It's not the finalization of your fleshly life here on this planet, which we learned a couple of weeks ago when Reverend Gary Crowell was here. It's not the finalization of your life. That's just a season. But that there's actually eternity in mind and we should be living with eternity in mind. But even when we die and, and, and separate from this life here on earth, that's not the greatest tragedy, guys. The greatest tragedy in life is that we live without purpose. We live without knowing why we truly exist. We live without knowing what we are here to do. What are we here to change? What, what am I able to do? These are questions That everybody's asking themselves, at some point in life, everybody, I don't care if you live under a bridge or you live in a penthouse. I don't care if you have uh, uh, all the wealth in the world. Even Song of uh, uh, Solomon in his book, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, he, he would even reiterate these things that life is vain. There's nothing even to it without. And he was the richest man that ever walked the planet, ever lived on this earth was asking the same question, why am I here? What can I do? What am I capable of? I mean, that we should all be asking the question, what should be different since I lived on this earth? What should be different since I'm here? What kind of imprint am I going to leave? What kind of mark am I going to leave? What's going to be different when I'm gone? I was just talking actually with with. with uh, Chris over here in the corner just yesterday about Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen, and and the legacy that he's left. Uh, if you don't know, he established Rama uh, Rama Bible Training College back in 1975. He was 61 years old when he when he started that school. 61 years old. What some people would say would be the 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 downhill years. He's just getting started. And and what that school has done, what Rama has done. Since 2003, when he passed away, in September of 2003, until uh, uh, now, we have done more since he's been gone than we did when he was alive from 1975 to 2003. It's incredible. The legacy, that's where, it's one thing to do something great while you're here. It's another thing that it leaves and lives beyond you. And so we wanna have a purpose about ourselves, that death is not a tragedy for us. I'm just simply passing to the next layer of my life, the next season of my life. What kind of mark am I gonna leave while I was here? The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but it's life lived without purpose. And in Genesis chapter one, again, we gotta go back to the beginning in verse 26. Uh, This is what God said. This is out of the new living. Then God said, Let us make human beings, that's you and I, in our image to be like us. This is how the NLT reads. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the livestock, all the animals, On the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Again, we know that this is where God, He's gotten up to this point. Five days of creation has taken place, and now He is creating man. He's creating man. He said, I can't go anywhere else. I have to use myself as the template for what man's going to look like. That's incredible. That the Godhead got together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they said, We got to create something on that extended realm. We're going to take heaven and we're going to extend it to the earth. We're going to go uh, invisible and make it visible. So we need to put someone down there to rule and to govern that territory. I mean, kingdoms still do this today. Uh, We just referenced Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was a governor, a Roman governor. So what Rome would do, Rome actually changed the template for how a takeover would, would take place. When you took a nation captive, usually, like the Babylonians, the Persians, uh, these other nations that overtook Israel and overtook Jerusalem, overtook God's people, what they would do is they would go into a nation, they would raid the nation, tear it down, and then they would take people captive and bring them back to their land. If you remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken out of Israel, and they had to go back to Babylon and learn how the Babylonians did things. And and they would live there. But the Romans actually changed this template. It was more of a kingdom. The Bible tells us that Jesus came in the fullness of time. You know, God knows what he's doing. And he came, he sent Jesus in at a time when even the natural uh, environment was kind of setting up for what Jesus was trying to do. What the Romans would do is they would go into a territory, overthrow it, overtake it. But then they would set up colonies within those territories. So they would let the people, the new captives, live in that territory, but under Roman rule. So they would let them stay there. And Pontius Pilate, he was the governor of Judah, the Judean territory where Jesus was uh, sentenced and ultimately crucified and so uh, what I'm saying is is this was a template that God used this was really a a God's idea to take heaven extend extend it and expand it to a new territory called earth and then put someone in charge of it there the Roman emperor would not rule the Judean territory That was Pontius Pilate's territory. That was his realm. And he didn't need to go to the emperor and say, I've got problems down here. He said, well, then apparently you're not the man for the job. Get you out and we'll put another one in. That's his job to rule that territory as he remains submitted to the Roman emperor back in Rome. That's in Italy. We're talking about over in the the Middle East. You know, there's distance there. So God is, is desiring to rule the earth through you and I. See, guys, the most important thing, the greatest priority we should have in life is to discover our identity, is to discover who we are. I want you to look at the pattern here in this verse. The greatest priority we should have in life should be to discover who we are. Here's why. Look at the pattern. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. The next statement They will reign over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth. Notice what comes first, who you are. What comes second, what you do. Guys, this is what we have to understand about our lives is our purpose and our identity does not derive from what we do but rather what we do derives is derived from who we are. And the world wants us to switch those. The world wants to define you by what you do, <clears throat> by how much money you have, where you live. Think about all the things that we use to create identity. I mean, students are creating identity from the shoes that they wear and the jeans that they wear if it's name brand or not. We grow up and we now have an identity. A lot of kids choose college based on identity, not necessarily because it's the best fit for them, but because of a name or because of how much it costs or because of who goes there or because of what kind of school it is. We choose occupations this way. Guys, we choose our friends and relationships based on identity, how I identify if I'm with this person or around this group. <clears throat> it's amazing the things that we use to determine our identity. But here's the problem. When you confuse your identity, you compromise your authority. When you confuse your identity, what you ultimately do is you, com- you compromise that which you are supposed to do when you confuse your identity and you allow the wrong thing to define you, you allow the wrong thing to tell you who you are, well, guess what? Then what you're supposed to do becomes compromised. The only way, guys, that we can effectively do what God has called us to do is by first discovering who we are. And we cannot get this backwards. We cannot, the first thing God gave to man Was his identity, who you are. He didn't say a word. He didn't give him anything else to go off of until he first established who you are. Then from there, you will reign. And you can't question the authority when you know the identity. You can't question the authority when you know the identity. I don't question what I do because I know who I am. But guess what? If I don't know who I am, I'll question what I do all day long. Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the will of God? Am I, should, I, should I have married this person? Should I be working at this job? Should I be living? When you know your identity, everything else flows from that. The identity is always the root issue. That's why we're starting here. Gave you the intro to the kingdom, but now from there, we've got to discover who we are in the kingdom. Three things we all need to discover in life. Number one, who you are. Number one, who you are. Number two, who God is. I gotta know who I am. I gotta know who he is. Doesn't do me much good if I know who I am, but I don't know who he is. And I'll take it one step further. Number three, You need to know who you are in relation to who he is. You got to know who you are in relation to who he is. Boy, that's dangerous if we don't have that figured out. Well, I know who I am. I know who God is, but I don't know how he sees me. I don't know how he cares for me. I don't know what he thinks about me. I don't know what he's put in me. I got to know those three things. We all have to know who I am, what's my identity, what am I called to do, who is God, is he a father, is he a king, is he a judge, Uh, you know, is he merciful, Uh, and and just tell you right now, he's all of it, just like we talked about on Sunday, I got to know all sides of Jesus, I can't just know, the Bible said about Jesus, he was full of grace and truth, you know we have our grace Jesus and our truth Jesus. In America today. But he's saying, I'm both. And I execute both of them very well. I'm not better at one than the, he doesn't have an identity crisis. Jesus is grace and Jesus is truth. A hundred percent. is a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. Do you know that Jesus had to learn stuff? How is it, how does an all knowing God learn anything? But it says in Luke chapter 2 that he grew in wisdom and in stature. That means he had to start out here and grow to here. Why? Because he's 100% man. He's 100. Don't, don't try to figure it out. Your, your brain's gonna I'm seeing, I'm going to explode. I'm seeing steam coming out of some of y'all's right now. So he creates man. And the first thing he gives to man is identity. The second thing he gives to man is assignment. Identity always precedes assignment. Identity always precedes assignment. I was just talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and he was just telling me, and 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 he does very well, has a great job, does, does very well for himself and his family, and 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 you know they're a blessing, they're generous people. They're, they're awesome people. Uh, but he was just telling me how over the summer there were some things that happened at his job and it was very stressful. And, and he, he said that he turned to God, turned to the word, got more serious about his relationship with the Lord, became more dedicated at his church. And he said, it's just so freeing not having to live for stuff. It's freeing. It, guys, it's oppressive trying to find your identity in stuff. It's oppressive. It's oppressive. Let me just tell you, you'll never make enough money. You'll never live in the right place. Some of the most miserable people in life are the ones that don't know who they are. But yet they, they, here's the thing, guys. You can know what to do and it will still not fulfill you. Guys, if knowing what to do was the answer to the problem, we'd have a lot more people doing a lot better than they are because they know what to do. In fact, they know what to do so well. They're proficient in it. They're competent. They do a great job. I mean, many of you, you ought to be proud of the work you do. You're proud of, of, of the hours you put in. You're proud of the promotions you've gotten. You're proud of what you've accomplished, and you should be, but it shouldn't create your identity. Our assignment should not be our identity. Our identity determines our assignment. Well, then we jump over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and verse 1. Again, we know this is the fall of man. In the New Living says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God say, really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows, watch this, you gotta see this, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God. You need to highlight that, underline that, star it, whatever you need to do. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Listen to what he's saying to Eve now. I want us to chew on this. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The snake, Satan, did not tempt Eve with fruit. He tempted her with identity. The first thing the snake went after was the first thing God gave man. He knew right where to go. You will be like God. Now here's the thing about identity. When I back up and I go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Is that what your Bible says? Is that what the screen behind me says? That's what my Bible says. The, the, The new King James, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So if I'm reading correctly, he's offering them something they already had. Are you seeing that? Is that what you're seeing? (laughs) He's offering Eve something she already is. Now, here's the thing you have to understand about identity. Think about it this way. When a child is born, those of you parents that you've had children, I remember when Camden was born, I wasn't waiting nine months to find out if I had a son or a child. I knew the whole time I have a child. I'm just waiting to see what he's going to look like. I'm just waiting to see what he's going to grow up to be. I'm just waiting to see, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the purpose of God on his life and how irritating he can be at times and the stuff that he's going to leave laying out everywhere for me to trip over, even though I've asked him 18 times to pick it up. No, when God created man, You think he created man and then was like, all right, let's see if they look like us. When was the identity determined? Before creation of man or after creation of man? Identity precedes creation. The identity was there, get this, before man was. That's how powerful identity is. This is what I'm trying to get at. When God's giving you an identity, you don't have to do anything to become it. You are it. Are you following me? God didn't create man and then breathe into his nostrils and say, I'm going to create man. I'm going to let us make man in our image to be like us, to look like us, to operate like us, to function like us. And when we say like us, we're not just talking in color of skin and facial features and hair. We're talking about operation. We're talking about function. Why did the snake even go after Adam and Eve? Because he saw a God-like image. And so when God breathed into the nostrils of man, there was nothing man had to do. that. You can't be any more like God than the moment he created you like God. The identity is on God's part. Living it out is on our part, yes. Actually living up to, that's us. And that's where most of us fail is we never align our identity with what he sees in us. That's why I said our number one priority is to discover who we really are. Guys, if we don't ever discover who we are, who God's made us, created us to be, guess what? You'll go your entire life letting everybody else tell you who you are. Somebody will tell you who you are. Somebody will shape your identity. You'll find yourself somewhere, someway, somehow. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible. Even the sexual identity issues that we're seeing uh, uh, in in our nation today, it's incredible. I get emails that say, I'm such and such. Would I be allowed to come to your church? Nobody, no other group on this planet asks that question except for LGBTQ. I don't have fornicators. Email me. I fornicate. I sleep with people before I marry them. Would it be okay if I come to your church? They don't ask that question. But it's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. It's not even a sexual issue. It's an identity. You're literally identifying as something. That's how powerful identity is. So the snake goes right after the most powerful thing they had at their disposal. Guys, it wasn't even their authority that was the most powerful thing. It was their identity because identity gives power to authority. I can't even operate in my authority until I know who I am. And you could give me all the authority in the world, but if I don't know I'm that, I'll never never walk in it. I'll never operate in it. So the enemy doesn't tempt Eve with fruit. He tempts her with identity. That fruit, the fruit of eating that tree was, you'll be like God. Well, that sounds awesome. Except the fact that God's already created you like him. And you don't have to do anything for his approval. You don't have to do anything to become more like God. Well, I'm only 50% like God. I need to be more. No, you are, now live out from that. You are a child of God. You are made in his image. You are operating or, or designed to operate and function like him. Now operate and function like him. Tell that snake where to go is what God is trying to say. The authorities in your territory we're going to talk about domain and 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 dominion and territory how to take dominion over your territory you have a financial territory you have a home territory you have a a marketplace everybody's got territory somewhere you don't live on this planet and not have territory and you need to know how to walk in it and we're going to cover that but it all is rooted in identity The first thing he goes after is the first thing God gave him. We're following right along in that template, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now Jesus has come and the same serpent snake doesn't show up as a snake maybe this time, but the Satan, the devil Jesus is led into the wilderness here in verse 1, Matthew chapter 4, and verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Did you know the Holy Spirit will actually lead you into some challenging places? Why? Because He wants you to overthrow it. I said He wants you to overthrow it. The Holy Spirit is not your comfort blanket, He's a comforter, but it doesn't mean He's going to keep you comfortable. Hello, there's a difference. There's a difference between being comforted and comfortable. And the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days. And for 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, look at this, if you are the son of God, what's he questioning? Identity. I mean, right back to the same bag of tricks, man. Why is he going after Jesus and why is he tempting him in this manner? Because he sees for the first time since Genesis chapter 3, a creature walking this planet that's functioning and operating like God. We have the first Adam and we have the second Adam. And for the first time, over 6,000 years have passed. And he's known. Remember what God told, turned and told that snake. The, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. So he's been on pins and needles for 6,000 years. Where, where's that baby? Where's that kid? Where's that seed? And now he sees this, this man And he says, wait a minute. This one's got something. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you... You are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, now watch this, look at his response. You must not test the Lord, your God. You can't make that statement if you don't know who you are. This reveals Jesus's level of confidence in who he was. When the enemy comes and questions your identity, that's when you find out how confident you really are with your identity. You don't know how confident you are with your identity until it's challenged. Come on. And Jesus is assured. You can't test the Lord, the Lord right here. I know who I am. I don't know what, who you think you're messing with, but you can't bring that to, he, to me. You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship, here it is, the Lord your God and serve only him. Again, responding with I know who I am. You're trying to question who I am. You're trying to get me to question who I am, but my identity is not on trial today. I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am, and I'm gonna respond out of my identity. And because of, I know, because of the fact that I know who I am, I know what to do, and I know that I'm in charge of you. And I can tell you to what? Get out of here. Matthew chapter four is what should have happened in Genesis chapter three. Matthew chapter four is what should have happened in Genesis chapter three. And this is the thing. You won't be tempted to do something you shouldn't when you're not trying to be something that you aren't. I'll say that again. You won't be tempted to do something you shouldn't when you aren't trying to be something you're not. Jesus is knew who he was, therefore couldn't be tempted to do the wrong thing. We get tempted to do the wrong thing because we're living out of the wrong identity. I mean, we, we, we have more identity crisis in our world today than ever before. I heard someone say one time, you know, you don't have to post stuff to prove stuff. I thought that was good. You know, you don't have to post stuff on Instagram and Facebook to prove to people. And really, a lot of times people are trying to post an image of themselves that's not even really them in the first place. It's a false image. They're trying to live out a reality through a screen that's not even really who they are. Come on. Well, if we back up to Matthew chapter three and verse 17, it's the last verse, of the previous chapter, Matthew chapter three, verse 17. This is after Jesus came up out of the waters from baptism. And it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That's God speaking. You think that was important before going into the wilderness to be questioned, challenged by the enemy and the enemy attacked the very thing that he attacked Eve with in Genesis chapter three? their identity, And now he's questioning and challenging and attacking Jesus's identity. And he had this statement to go off of, and this is before he ever did a miracle, before he ever did a sign, before he turned water into wine, before he opened up blind eyes, raised up dead people, told storms to stop, cast out demons. We even went to the cross. God is speaking his approval and his identity of his son before he ever did anything. Why? Because identity precedes creation. Identity, you had identity. The Bible tells us that before you were even in your mother's womb, that's how powerful identity is. He knew who you were before your parents even knew who you were. Before they were even, it might've been a surprise to them, but it wasn't a surprise to God. The identity is made up from the beginning. So there's nothing Jesus has to do to become more the son of God. He is the son of God and then acted out, responded out of knowing who he was. This is the power of identity. The last thing Jesus heard from his father was the first thing the enemy attacked in the wilderness. So I wanna take you on a quick journey. We won't take long but you got to know your identity. And I could, go to, I could go to stories. I could go, I could talk about King Saul. I could talk about David. Uh, I, I could talk about the prodigal son. If, if you've been with us recently, I ministered on the prodigal son. Uh, uh, slaves, servants, and sons. Powerful message on identity. Powerful message on uh, how we belittle and devalue who we are. Therefore, you, you'll never live above your level of revelation. You'll never live above your level of revelation. You don't accidentally live out identity. You have to know it. You've got to be intentional about discovering it. But I'm just going to take you on a journey and we're going to discover who we are. Who does the word say that we are? So go with me to Psalms chapter eight. Psalms chapter eight. I want to look at this in the New King James Version first. Psalms chapter 8 is up for much debate, and I didn't try to make that rhyme, it just came out that way. It's a very controversial statement, and mostly because it, honestly, this one chapter reveals uh, the depravity of mankind and how hard it is for us to simply accept who God has created us to be but yet the entire word backs it up. The entire Bible keeps this chapter in context. In Psalms chapter eight, starting with verse one in the New King James, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. You have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that is that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Now, here's the statement for you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Sounds a lot like Genesis chapter one, doesn't it? There's a statement back there. It says, for you have made him, a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor now for most people just even trying to ascertain that we mankind is made a little lower than angels is hard enough to bear that that's the level we come in there's god the godhead then there's angels And then there's mankind. And then there's beasts of the field and and all the cattle and and, and all the the creatures on the earth. At least, you know, for most people, uh, uh, especially, you know, evolutionists and those kind of things, they think that they're just a little bit above animals. That's not what it says. It says you're a little lower than angels. But we have a problem with this verse. Because most translations did not translate this verse properly. Because they could not wrap their minds around the actual translation of this verse. And the word angels in the actual Hebrew is not angels. It's Elohim. Elohim is God. This this verse actually should read the way the New American Standard Version has translated it. If we can put that up there. Uh, Psalms chapter eight. And that's gonna be verse five in the New American Standard. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. Than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. Let me help you understand something. In trying to understand your identity, you have to rise to what God has called you to be. He will not allow you to accept anything less than what he's called you to be. The prodigal son is the perfect representation of this. He ran away, he sinned, he rebelled, he wasted his father's money. He eventually got to a point where he was operating like a slave for a man, getting to eat uh, the, the slop that the pigs were eating finally came to his senses. What am I doing here? My father's servants are, are fed better and treated better than I'm being treated. I can at least go from being a slave to a servant. So he says, I'm gonna go to dad. I'm gonna tell him I've sinned, I've rebelled. Just make me one of your hired servants. Just put me on payroll. Give me a job to do. But the father runs out and meets him gives him a hug and he says, father, I've sinned. He says, I don't want to hear anything else. Uh, hey, bring, bring the, bring the uh, you know, kill the fatty calf, bring a robe, put it on his back, put ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. For this day, my son who was dead is now alive. My son was gone, but now he's been found. My son, the father would not allow the son to take on an identity any less than what he was. Are you seeing this? But man is sinful and, and man is in depravity. and, and, and uh, I, you, you have to quit identifying yourself with what's around you and you've got to rise up to what's in you. You're a child of God. You're a child of the king. And The last time I checked, children of the king were royalty. Let me put it to you this way. Angels don't tell you what to do. You tell angels what to do. Now, they'll bring commands and they will be directives from God, but angels don't get to boss you around. You are not working on the behalf of the angels. The angels come as messengers from the Most High God, and you're working on the behalf of God himself. But angels are there to do your bidding, not the other way around. Therefore, this verse is translated incorrectly because human translators, we talked about versions on Sunday. We have all these versions out there. You got to be careful with these versions, guys. They're not always healthy. They're not always truthful. They're not always maintaining the context of the word of God. And the context of the word of God is that you were made in his image and in his likeness. Not even the angels were made in the image and likeness of God. You were. You are higher than angels. Do not dumb yourself down below what God has called you to be. In fact, I have this point. We can put it up on the screen. We should never be pleased to dwell on a level of existence lower than that on which God has made it possible for us to dwell. And you should have that behind you. We should never be pleased to dwell on a level of existence lower than that on which God has made it possible for us to dwell. We should not. Little lower than God himself. People have a hard time with equality. People have a hard time with, oh, now you're saying you, no, 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 I'm not God. And the only way I can operate in my identity and my authority is if I remain submitted to his authority. I'm not putting myself in charge of God. I'm not lifting up myself. Guys, it's not prideful to live according to what God has called you to be. In fact, if I could even throw this out there for you, it's prideful to not live according to what God has called you to be. It's actually more prideful to say, oh no, no, I, I, could, I could never do that. Oh, so you're God. Oh, so you get to determine what you can do and what you can't do, just because you can't wrap your brain around it. No, I've got to go with the, what the word says. The word of God, translated correctly, this is why we have to be studiers, not baby birds with our mouths wide open, just letting people drop whatever in there. Study it out for yourself. That word is Elohim. God himself said, you are right below me. I need you to operate right below me because I need you in charge of that domain. I need you in charge of the earth. I need you in charge of all the mess and the junk that's happening down there. I need you to help me enact my rule and my kingdom and bring the kingdom to earth. And I can't do that if you can't do that if you're operating below what I've created you to be. Romans chapter eight, and I'm just going to kind of go through these quick. You can uh, jot them down if you're taking notes. Um, but I'm going to. I've just got some verses that you you need to have in your. Repertory, you need to have these in your pocket, in your back pocket, ready to pull on because the enemy will question your identity. The enemy will attack your identity to get to your authority. It's the only way he can get it. He can't steal your authority, but you can hand it over if he questions your identity. Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the spirit of God, are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Guys, you are not slaves. You're not a slave of God. You're a child of God. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Guys, mostly the reason why we don't recognize that we are children of God, the child uh, that we are called to be and that we are royalty is because we don't allow the Holy Spirit to confirm it within us. And he goes on, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Guys, we are heirs of Christ. If it belongs to him, guess what? It belongs to you. It's kind of like the dilemma that my mom had. It was me and my brother. So anything she bought us had to buy two of them. So guess what? God gave it to Jesus. He said, well, I'm gonna have to give it to them too. Because they're with Christ. They're in Christ and they are uh, uh, heirs with him. They're children just like Jesus' children. Second Corinthians chapter five, second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's your identity, guys. I'm telling you your identity so you can pull these out and you can respond to the enemy and say, no, 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 now, that old man that used to do all that garbage and all that junk and used to talk that way and behave that way and look at that stuff and, and respond to people, that was, that's the old man. Who do you think you're talking to? This is the new man right here. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't operate and act like the old man anymore. I'm a new man. The only way the old man gets a say is if you take him down off of that cross, raise him back to life. No, there's a new man. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means now we're partners with him. Now we're brought into this assignment with him. We got a job to do. This is what he says. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's your identity. Ambassador means to work on the behalf of another. So when the enemy comes and he tries to attack you and tries to question your identity, he says, "Uh, excuse me, I'm actually here to speak on the behalf of another. I'm actually here to speak on what God, God, what would you say? Okay. I only say what God says. I only go where God tells me to go. I only do. You think about it, an ambassador for the United States of America. They don't have an opinion. They don't have an idea. They don't have an agenda. They don't have a plan outside of what the United States wants to get done. And that's all they're allowed to have. And as an ambassador, they are fully taken care of. Even though they might exist in a realm that, is, that lives at a lesser standard. If you ever go uh, to a... Uh, Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Embassy, if you ever go to a U.S. embassy in another country, the grass is green, it looks sharp. There's nice military standing around everywhere. The the facilities are amazing. I may be in this world, but guess what? I'm not of this world. I'm here as an ambassador, and I have an embassy that I belong to, and anything that I have need of, the home country is gonna make sure I'm taken care of. That's the kingdom of God. And I'm here to enact the kingdom's will and his agenda and his plan, not my own. I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price, amen. So I'm an ambassador for Christ as though God were pleading through us. That means he's involved you now. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become, here's another one, the righteousness of God in him. That's your identity. I'm just giving you a whole list here, just kind of ransacking you a little bit. Fill up the the quiver a little bit. See, when you need that arrow, you can pull it out. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when the enemy tries to come alongside and says, bring you condemnation and shame and guilt, whoa, 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 I'm righteousness. Hey, God, you remember that? I don't either, okay. Just because the devil remembers doesn't mean God does. He said, no, I, I think I took care of that. I blotted that one out. Let's move on. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Wish the time would go this fast when I'm not preaching good. (laughs) Goodness. Golly. When when I don't have it all together, it's like, man, we got to move. They're going to say, Pastor Mark, you only preached 25 minutes. That's all I had. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ When he raised him from the dead, now watch this, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And being seated at the right hand of the father, Jesus, that means he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. You think that covers it? You think they got it covered there? Jesus is over it all, right? There's nothing above Jesus. Nothing tells Jesus what to do. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills All in all, that's great. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is in a position of authority and dominion. Jesus, uh, everything is under Jesus' feet. He operates with all dominion. There's no principality, no power, no dominion, no stronghold that's greater than Jesus. But it keeps going. Ephesians chapter two and verse one, the very next words, and you he made alive. So he's saying, wait, that's where Jesus is, but we're not done. Now we need to talk about you and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons, sons of disobedience. If you're a son of God, then the dominion and the principality of the power of the air should not be working in you. You're not a son of disobedience. You're a son of obedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, probably two of the most powerful words in the Bible, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, uh, look what it says made us alive together with Christ. Made us, you and I, alive together. What's that mean together? That means wherever he is, I am. So now everything that we just read at the end of Ephesians chapter one, you can now start to apply to yourself. If it's not above Jesus, it's not above me. If it's under Jesus's feet, it's under my feet. If he has dominion and control over it, I have dominion and control over it. Come on, you gotta confess these things over your life. This is your new identity. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He's reminding you, you didn't do this. This is by him. And raised us up, there it is again, together. And made us sit, again, together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means when God looks at you, guess who he sees? Jesus, this is your new identity. This is everything God wanted in Genesis chapter one. This is what he wanted. The original intent is coming back. His original plan, his original purpose made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He continues on. See I need, I need the verses. I don't want to read the whole thing. He continues on here moving further on down. Made us sit together, made us alive together. Now we're ruling and reigning together. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners to the kingdom he's talking about. A stranger and a foreigner, that word foreigner uh, was, uh, it, it was a word that they used for those that could come into a territory, but they did not have the privileges and the benefits of that territory. A word that we would use today would be an alien, that they can come in, but they don't get to exercise the same rights and the privileges and the benefits that you and I do without even thinking about it. In fact, most of us don't even know the rights and the privileges and the benefits that we have available to us as United States citizens. We don't even know. There's a test that foreigners have to take. You know, there are people that are fighting their way into this country, to be able to live the life you and I live that we take for granted. It's the same in the kingdom of God. We should be fighting to get into the kingdom. And you and I don't even know the privileges and the benefits that are available to us living in the kingdom of God. You're not a stranger and a foreigner anymore. You don't have to beg God for stuff. It's available to you. He says, you're not a stranger and a foreigner, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When you're a member, if you come up in my house and just start raiding my fridge, we're going to have a conversation. But if Camden does, he's a member of the household. He can have whatever he wants. Belongs to him just as much as it belongs to me. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom, the whole building being fitted together. He says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. He says that we're heirs with Christ, seated with Christ, alive with Christ, raised with Christ. Philippians chapter three and verse 20. Philippians chapter three and verse 20. The new living reads it this way, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We're eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. But guys, we are citizens of heaven, which means I don't need to reduce my life to this earth. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. The economic system of this country does not is not my economic system. I belong to a kingdom that has an economic system that if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. I don't care what this country does. I don't care what they tax. I don't care what, what they want to do with their finances. It doesn't concern me. I belong to a different kingdom. The healthcare system of this land is not my healthcare system. I do not place my trust in their healthcare system because my kingdom has a way better healthcare plan. It's free. There's no co There's no deductibles. It's by his stripes you were healed. He took care of it 2,000 years ago. Before I got sick he already got my healing for me. I don't care what this country does with their health care. The, the, the systems of this world are not what I live by. I'm a citizen of heaven. When an ambassador has to live in a foreign country, they don't care what the climate and the, and the environment that, they, they, they're an American citizen. They, they're, they're not governed by their principles and their struggles and their issues. They're there to help change it. On behalf of the United States, we're here to change this world, not be controlled by it. Come on. I don't have to live according to the labels and and the limits that even America might try to give me. It's the greatest nation on the planet, sure. But they're they're not flawless. They don't dictate my life. I belong to a different kingdom. I'm a son and a citizen. Somebody else takes care of me. And he'll never go broke. He'll never go under. He's not in debt to anybody. His healthcare system always works. I call upon the name of the Lord. This is how you got to live. This is why kingdom thinking, kingdom realities, we don't have kingdom realities. All this stuff is subject to change. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting with verse 13, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Now somebody else sets the standard of what holiness looks like. Not the church, not the world. No, God sets it. And so now my new identity has to align with his standards, his moralities, his agendas, his plans. And it, look, his word wouldn't call us to holiness if we couldn't do it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Y'all know this one. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. That's my identity. You are royal priests. I mean, think about these words. Chosen generation. That means he picked you. Oh, I'm stuck with these guys. No, he chose you. Royal Priests, royal, royalty. You see what royalty looks like? Look at your neighbor and say, you're royalty. You're royalty. Greatness looks good on you. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, he calls us. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Revelation chapter five, last one. Revelation five, verse nine and 10. Revelation five, verses nine and 10. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And watch this. And have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound anything like Genesis chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 16, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Psalms chapter 8? Guys, it's continual, it's consistent throughout God's word. You're a child of God, you're a son of God, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. There are privileges, benefits, and I can't even get into all that tonight. We need to know our identity. If we don't discover our identity, it will compromise our authority. I wanna leave you with this last quote and then we'll pray and get out. Y'all getting something? Amen. This last quote, I don't know who said it. I just happened to come across it. It says, when you discover your value, the world will pay you to be yourself. When you discover your value, the world will pay you to be yourself. How much effort and time and resources do we expense trying to be something we're not? And if we would just be who we already are, who God's created us to be, There's nothing else I can do to be more of a child of God. There's nothing else I can do to be more like God. I am. I just need to live that out and become that each day. Let that grow in me more and more. But God is looking down saying, you have my approval. You have my blessing. You are my child. You are my son. This is what I've called you to be. This is who. This is what you're gonna do because you know who you are. You know what to do. And when you discover your value, I'm telling you, the the Bible tells us, Romans chapter eight, the world is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at AnchorFaithBoutosta.com.